Well, if you still have your Bibles open to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, that's where we're going to be today. And if not, I encourage you to find your way there. I, um, I hope you had an opportunity to watch the online service last week. And if you did not get a chance to do that, I'd encourage you to go back and and watch it sometime this week. We kind of just laid out a vision for 2022 and what we believe that God is leading us to do and some things that uh, we want to be sharing with you. Uh, One of the things that we talked about is our theme for the new year, and that is uh, believing God to do the impossible, or what we were referring to as Him possible. Uh, The Bible tells us that with God, all things are possible, and so That's kind of our theme for the year, and one of the things that we're going to be doing different in our D groups starting in March is uh, each of us, or anyone that wants to, is going to be sharing a prayer request that we're really praying to see God answer in 2022. And uh, each week, we're going to be praying over that specific prayer request in our individual discipleship groups. And so think about some things that, that you know, unless God intervenes, this would be impossible. Maybe somebody that you know that needs to know Christ as their Savior, and you think there's no hope for that person. I want to tell you, there is hope for that person. And we can be praying and asking God to do something in their hearts this this year. Maybe there's another obstacle. Maybe there's a health need or a financial need or something else that you really need to see God do this year. And we're going to be praying about those and, and just asking and trusting Him to do that. But one of the things that we want to do this week and next week is to look at the concept of being a generous believer. I believe that uh, generosity is so important. And uh, when you think about the word generous, uh, what do you think of? Uh, I'm sure everybody thinks about different things. Some people maybe think about a person that they know that just every, every, or or yourself, hopefully you are a generous person, Uh, but a person that you know or yourself You say, I'm generous, or that person is the definition of generosity. Uh, Maybe you think about somebody that's rich and that has a lot of money and that just gives away money. Uh, Maybe you think about an organization that you know that's a very generous organization. Uh, Maybe an organization that helps with uh, people when uh, tragedy strikes. I think about Samaritan's Purse and all that they do around the world when there's a earthquake or flood or some type of natural disaster our own denomination has a has a group called masters men that are very generous and when there's tornadoes or some kind of natural disaster they'll go in and try to feed people and help with some things so you think about generosity in that uh in that regard some of the synonyms that we have for the word generous are lavish open-handed unselfish unsparing and kind-hearted and i think you know that should be us as believers we should be generous we should be unselfish we should be kind-hearted well in this passage of scripture and you may not have picked up on it when we were reading it a moment ago but this passage of scripture has a lot to say about generosity uh the book of second corinthians is obviously the second letter that we have to the church at Corinth. It was written by the Apostle Paul on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And in the first letter that he wrote to them in our our Bibles, 1 Corinthians, he said this to them in chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. He said, Now concerning the collection for the saints, 
as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of the week, every one of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. So what was happening is that there were some poor saints in Jerusalem that needed some financial help. And so what Paul was doing is he was going to the churches that that God was using him to minister to, Galatia and Corinth, and he was saying to them, look, we're going to have a collection. We're going to take up some money and some things for this these needy Christians. And so what I want you to do is every Sunday, the first day of the week, I want you to lay aside a little bit for these Christians, and then I'm going to send somebody along down the road to collect this money that you have been setting aside, and we're going to take it and we're going to distribute it to these needy Christians so that they can be encouraged. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he lets them know, okay, now's the time for this collection. We're going to come by and we're going to collect the money. And so he's kind of reminding them of what's going to happen. And he says to them in uh, chapter 9, verse 4, he says, if, if we come and we're fi- we find that you're not ready, then we would be humiliated uh, to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary, verse 5, he says, to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance for the gift that you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction or as a tax, he says. And so what he's saying is, okay, the time has come for the gift. I've bragged about how uh, what a generous church you are, what a wonderful church you are. And so we're going to come and we're going to receive this offering. And he says, I want you to be ready. He says, I don't want to send my people to collect this offering. And then they get there and find out that you're not ready, that you haven't been doing what, what you, know, you needed to be doing all this time. And that would humiliate you. It would humiliate me because I've been bragging about you and how generous you are. And so he says, I want you to be ready for this offering. I want you to be ready uh, to give. And so he lets them know that he's sending these representatives to pick up this offering. But he wants them to look at this collection as an opportunity to express the generosity of God that they've experienced. And when you think about generosity, really the first thing that we should think about is the generosity of God. God has been generous to us. God has been uh, generous to us individually. God has been generous to us collectively as a church family, as a nation, as a group of people. We have experienced the generosity of God. And when I talk about generosity, I'm not just talking about finances. I'm not just talking about quote-unquote dollar bills and, and change. I'm talking about the fact that God has been generous to us in so many ways. The sun rises and sets every day. We have food in our cupboards. We have food in our stomachs. We have uh, clothing on our backs. We have been so blessed by God in so many different ways. And so he is the example of generosity. And so when we are generous as believers, we are reflecting who? We're reflecting God. We're reflecting our Heavenly Father. And uh, he doesn't want the Corinthians to feel like that this is an obligation. He says, I don't want you to feel like it's an exaction. How many of you are excited uh, to pay your taxes? I mean, I'm not thrilled to pay my taxes. I'm just not. Uh, For one reason, 
because I know our government wastes so much of our tax money, and they use so much of our tax money for things that I am not uh, in favor of or excited about, and I feel like I could do a much better job with that money than they can, right? Uh, but, but when it comes to giving to God, when it comes to giving to God's kingdom, we shouldn't look at it like we look at paying our taxes. We should look at it, man, this is an honor, this is a privilege, this is a wonderful opportunity that I have uh, to be able to give. And so he shares with them some final instructions and encouragement before this collection takes place. And, and this is something that's really important. I, I, the youngest person here this morning and the oldest person here this morning needs to take this home with you, okay? Generosity is not about an amount. Generosity is not about an amount. You can be generous if you have very little. Children can be generous. People who live in third world countries can be generous. Generosity has nothing to do with the amount of money that you can give. Think about this now. Generosity is an attitude of the heart. It's an attitude of the heart. Some of the most generous people I ever met was when I went to India. And these people had absolutely nothing compared to what we have. Many of these people live in, in huts and they don't have running water. They don't have so many of the things that we take for granted. Some of them don't have electricity. Uh, some of them have to take baths and ditches. But everywhere we went, every church that we went to, people were lined up to give us flowers. And I'm thinking, why are they being so generous to us when we have so much as Americans? And they have so little, yet they are being generous and I thought to myself, generosity is not a matter of the amount one has or one does not have. Generosity is an attitude of the heart. And we can all be generous regardless of what we have. Generosity is not about an amount. It's about an attitude. Generosity is about an attitude. And so some of the poorest people on earth are very generous. And some of the richest people on earth are very stingy. But there are also some very generous rich people. And there are some very stingy poor people. Generosity is not about the amount. It's about the heart behind the gift. And so there's some principles this morning that I want to share with you from this passage of Scripture. The first principle is this. You cannot outgive God. Now, you've heard me say that before. And you're probably going to hear me say that again. But it is so, so true. Can you say that with me this morning out loud? You cannot outgive God. Look at verse 6 again of our text, 2 Corinthians 9, 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly. Now notice how that word sow is spelled, S-O-W. Not talking about sowing like with a needle and thread. It's talking about sowing seed, right? Whoever sows sparingly also will reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So let me ask you a question. If you have a person that sows 10 kernels of corn, and you have a person that sows 100 kernels of corn, which person do you think is going to reap the bigger harvest? The person that sowed 100 kernels of corn, right? Because if you reap 
little, you're going, or if you sow little, you're going to reap little. If you sow much, you're going to reap much. What you sow is equivalent, uh, the amount you sow is going to be equivalent to, uh, the amount you reap is going to be equivalent to the amount you sow. So if you sow a little bit, you're only going to reap a little bit. If you sow a lot, you're going to reap a lot. Now, what in the world does this have to do with giving? Well, he says believers who sow sparingly or sow just a little bit can expect to reap just a little bit. But believers who sow bountifully, who sow uh, generously, if you will, can expect to reap a generous harvest. It's a principle that we see in nature, but Paul says it's a principle that applies to our giving. Now you say, wait a minute, Pastor Darrell, you just said a moment ago that generosity did not have to do with the amount, it had to do with the attitude, it had to do with the heart, and that is true. See, when we give out of a generous heart, even if that gift is 10 kernels of corn or 100 kernels of corn, or if that gift is a dollar or that gift is $10 or $100, God does not bless based on the amount given. God blesses based on the attitude given behind the amount. And so when we reap, we're not just reaping based on what we gave, we're reaping based on why we gave. We're reaping based on the attitude behind our gift. And so a person could, in God's spiritual kingdom, can, can reap a large, or excuse me, can sow a large amount, but if they do it with a bad attitude, their harvest is going to be sparingly. They're, they're going to reap sparingly. But if they sow a small amount with the right attitude, they are going to reap bountifully because they're being generous. They're being generous with their attitude. They're being generous with what they have, even though it may not be much. God is going to bless them in their giving. If a farmer chose to eat all of his produce, what would happen? He would not have any seed to plant the following year. A wise farmer loses a portion of his produce by keeping back part of the seed and planting it into the ground the following year so that he can have another harvest. And the same is true for us financially. We can say, oh, I've got all this stuff, and I've got to hold on to this stuff. I've got to keep this stuff. This stuff is mine. It belongs to me. I've got to be stingy with it. And we can hold on to it. And then we will have nothing to show for it. But if we take what we have and say, you know what? What I have came from God. What I have belongs to God. And God has asked me to be a, a vessel through which he is going to work and through which he is going to, to uh, flow his blessings through. And so I'm going to take part of what God has given me and I'm going to reinvest that into his kingdom. God says that we are going to reap a bountiful harvest. We can choose to lose what we have in God's kingdom knowing that we're going to gain far more. Did you get that? We, if we keep what we have, we're going to lose it. But if we lose what we have for God and His kingdom and His glory, we're going to gain even more. And again, we're not just talking about financial blessings, although that certainly applies, but so many other blessings as well. I like what Dr. Robert Pickerly said in his commentary on this passage. He said, giving is like sowing seed. 
One reaps harvest according to the manner of his planting. We do not lose what we give. You do not lose what you give to God. But oftentimes you lose what you hold on to for yourself. See, what you give for God is not a loss. What you give to God is an investment. It's an investment. Every month I have a little bit of money taken out of my paycheck that goes to my retirement account. What am I doing? I'm losing a little bit now so that in the future I'll have something to take care of me and my family when I get older. What am I doing? Am I losing it? Am I just throwing away? No, I'm making an investment. And when I give to the kingdom of God, I am making an investment. You cannot outgive God. Will you say that with me out loud? You cannot outgive God. So I want you to think about that for just a moment. When we sow seeds into the kingdom of God, we find that God multiplies this seed. What did he do with the little boy's lunch? He multiplied it. Giving to the Lord's work and to God's kingdom is like planting seed. God causes the seed to multiply, and he produces a great harvest as a result. But if we're stingy with the things that God has blessed us with, and selfish with the things that God has blessed us with, and we focus on building our kingdom instead of building God's kingdom, we will find that we will reap sparingly. We will reap little. See, our human nature tells us that if we want to gain... We have to keep. But God tells us that if we want to gain, we have to give. I love what William Barclay said in his study Bible. He said, Paul insists that no one was ever the loser through generosity. Why? Because you cannot give God. Let's say that one more time. You cannot outgive God. I hope the people that are watching online are saying it with us. You cannot outgive God. Now Solomon, when he wrote the book of Proverbs to his son, in Proverbs chapter 11, he said this. He said, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Look at that verse on the screen. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and suffers one. Again, this goes against our human nature. Our human nature says, I've got to withhold, I've got to keep it, I've got to hold on to it so that I won't lose it. And God says, no, you give it freely and I'll make sure that you can't outgive God. He says in verse 25, whoever brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered. Did you get that? God says, you go around watering other people's gardens, and I'll make sure your garden gets watered. You be generous with what you have, and God says, you will find that you cannot outgive me. The generous person grows richer while the stingy person suffers. I remember a lady that used to attend our church. She doesn't attend here anymore. She, she moved away to another state. But she often would tell me about her, her and her sisters. Her and her sisters grew up in a Christian home. And she said, uh, I think she's got three sisters, if I'm not mistaken. I think there's a total of four. 
She said, it's so funny to me. She says, all of my sisters and, 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 and our, our families, we all uh, are about the same, on the same level, so to speak, financially. We all make about the same amount of money. And three out of the four of us give to our local church, and one of us does not give to our local church. He says, guess which sister always has financial trouble? The one that doesn't give. Isn't that interesting? You know why? Because you cannot outgive God. Now, our motive for giving should never be to get. Our motive for giving should not be greed. But Scripture makes it clear that if you surrender to the Holy Spirit and yield to Him as He works to make you a generous believer, you will find that the blessings you receive from giving far outweigh any sacrifice you may make as you give. And so the Bible indicates there in that verse that's on the screen right now, whoever waters will himself be watered. When you water other people's gardens, God says, I'll make sure your garden gets watered. But too many of us have the mentality that we've got to take care of watering our own garden. We've got to look out for number one. And we're, in reality, what we're doing is just hurting ourselves because we're being stingy. Notice what Proverbs 19:17 says. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to who? The Lord. And he will repay him for his deed. Isn't that interesting? God says that when we're generous to the poor, he says, I'll look at that as a loan that I'm going to repay. You know what I found out over the years? God repays with interest. You know why? Because you can't outgive God. The principle of sowing and reaping and the principle that we cannot outgive God shows us that God always repays with interest. Some people said, I can't afford to be generous. I can't afford to give. I can't afford to tithe. I'm going to tell you something. You can't afford not to. You can't afford not to give. Because when you give with a generous heart and with the right attitude, you will find that you cannot outgive God. I want to challenge you in 2022 to put this principle to the test. I mentioned to you, uh, we were at a leadership conference a few weeks ago, and I went to one of the seminars, and it was on uh, stewardship. It was on the a- aspect of giving. And, and the pastor uh, had, had, uh, that was speaking had been pastoring the same church for the last 24 years. And he said for the last 24 years, every year in January, they begin uh, their year with a stewardship emphasis and encouraging their people to take the challenge of tithing for 90 days. Now, tithing simply means a tenth. You take a tenth of what God has blessed you with. So if you get paid $100 a a week, you give $10 a week. If you get paid $1,000 a week, you give $100 a week. It's 10% of whatever God has blessed you with. And he said, 90 days, 90 days, you take that challenge of tithing. And he said, at the end of 90 days, if there's one person, anybody in the congregation that wants their money back, we'll write them a check, no questions asked. He says, in 24 years, not one person has ever asked for their money back. You know why? Because you cannot outgive God. And since then, they have been able to give millions, not thousands, millions of dollars to missions because they have people that have taken that challenge and said, we will trust God 
to give because we believe the principle you cannot outgive God. And so the Apostle Paul tells us now another principle in verse 7 of our text, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. He says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. In other words, you, you shouldn't give because you feel like you have to give. You should give because you want to give. And if you don't want to give, ask God to change your heart. Say, God, help me to become a generous person. Help me to become a giving person. And uh, uh, help me to have a, a generous attitude like you've had toward me. In other words, don't give reluctantly. Remember, it's not just about amount. It's about attitude, right? And he says, don't give under compulsion. In other words, don't give because somebody's twisting your arm to give or because you feel like somebody's looking over your shoulder. Don't give under compulsion. And here's the principle. God delights in cheerful givers. God loves a cheerful giver. You say, well, Pastor Darrell, I thought God loved everybody. Well, God does love everybody. But the idea of love here is not the idea of love in that sense. It's the idea of taking delight in. God takes delight in cheerful givers. How many of you want God to take delight in you? I want God to take delight in me. Well, one of the ways I know that God takes delight in me is that I'm a cheerful giver. Now, first of all, I've got to be a believer in Jesus. None of this matters if we don't know Jesus. But if we know him, and part of loving him passionately, and part of serving him purposefully, as our mission statement says, is that we become these generous, cheerful givers. God wants us to give voluntarily, and God wants us to give cheerfully. Now, you're in 2 Corinthians 9. Turn one page back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Look at verses 11 and 12. He says, now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. What in the world does that mean? Well, let's look at it in a different translation. This is the Christian Standard Bible. It says, Now also finish the task, so that just as there was an eager desire, there may also be a completion according to what you have. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. The willingness and cheerfulness is to be found in our giving, not found in the amount we can give. How many of us have said, man, I wish I could help. I wish I could give. I wish I could do something more. I wish I could do this. I wish I could do that. God, if you would just let me win the Publishers Clearinghouse sweepstakes, I would do X, Y, and Z. Well, you may never win the Publishers House clearing, Clearinghouse sweepstakes. God wants you to have a readiness to give out of what you have not out of what could be one day. Because if we're not faithful with what we have, 
we won't be faithful with what could be. Jesus says that if we're faithful in the little, we'll also be faithful in the much. But if we're not faithful in the little, we probably won't be faithful in the much either. And so I would encourage you to teach your children. If they get an allowance, you get $10 a week, put a dollar in the offering plate. Give a dollar to Abby so she can go to Japan. Give a, you know, take 10% of what God's blessed you with. Teach them young. That's something that my parents taught me. That's something that I taught my children when they were younger. And it's something that I hope and pray they're continuing to this day. So Paul says we should be eager to give. And that eagerness and cheerfulness is what makes the gift acceptable to God. I want to prove this to you from Luke chapter 21. Maybe you've heard this story. Maybe you haven't. But it's a story of the poor widow woman who gave two mites. Now, we don't know what that is in our culture today, but it was equivalent to about a penny. A penny. How many of you think a penny is a big deal? We don't even pick up pennies off the ground anymore, most of us, right? You can't even buy a piece of candy for a penny. When I was a kid, you could buy a piece of bubble gum for a penny, and I'm sure when some of you were kids, you could buy even more for a penny, Right? But a penny today, we don't think it's a big deal. No big deal. Penny's not a big deal. Did you know it was a big deal to God one day? Look at Luke 21, verses 1 through 3. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. That didn't impress him. He saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And look at what Jesus said. Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. So Jesus sees this poor woman put in what we would call a penny into an offering plate. And Jesus says because her attitude was right and because uh, uh, she was a cheerful giver, that he equated what she gave, even though it wasn't much monetarily, as to being more than what the rich people were given. You see, it's not about what we give. It's about the attitude behind what we give. And I want to tell you, God can do more with a penny that's given with the right attitude than he'll ever do with $1,000 that's given with the wrong attitude. Jesus wasn't focused on what she gave as far as the amount, but he was focused on her heart. She gave everything she had. And so we should give cheerfully, we should give willingly, we should give out of appreciation for what God has done for us. And so God delights in givers that are like himself. Did God give cheerfully? The Bible says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. It was a joy for Jesus to go to the cross and give his life for us. He gave joyfully. He gave cheerfully. He gave out of love. Someone rightly said, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. You can give without loving. The Pharisees gave without loving. They gave because they wanted to see what every, everybody to see what religious people they were, what wonderful people they were. They gave 
uh, because they, they wanted their name, you know, uh, in lights. They gave because they wanted other people to see what they were doing and what they were giving. When we give out of a heart of gratitude, and we give out of a heart of generosity, we get out, give out of a heart of, of, of appreciation, God delights in that. There's one more principle, and I'll be done. It's found in 2 Corinthians 9, 8 and 9. It says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. The principle is this. God provides what you need to be who he designed you to be. Right after Paul says that God loves a cheerful giver, he goes on to say that God is able to provide everything those cheerful givers need. You see, God not only delights in cheerful givers, but he provides for cheerful givers to continue to give cheerfully. He provides for them to give monetarily. He provides for them to have, he says, three things. Number one, all sufficiency. Did you know God will give you what you need to be able to do what God has called you to do? He says, in all things and at all times, so that we might what? So that we might abound in every good work. That's what, <coughs> excuse me, that's what God does for cheerful givers. That's what God does in and through the lives of his children who are willing to be vessels through which his provision flows. Are we sufficient? In and of ourselves we are not, but he makes us sufficient. We can't do all things, but we can do all things through Christ which strengthens us. We aren't ready at all times, but he makes a way for us to be ready and abound in every good work. And when we are willing vessels through which God's provision flows, we will never find a lack of God's provision. Let me say that again. It's on your screen. Think about it. When we are willing vessels through which God's provision flows, we will never find a lack of God's provision. If you will be a willing vessel, and say, God, here am I. I am willing. I am willing to do what you want me to do. I'm willing to say what you want me to say. I'm willing to give what you want me to give. I'm willing to be who you want me to be. You will never find a lack of God's provision to enable you to be and do and give those things. We can do all things through Christ who will strengthen us. Who will strengthen us. I quote Dr. Robert Pickerelli one more time. He says, the generous man, man, woman, boy, girl, the generous man motivated by God's own spirit of blessing need not fear that God will leave him destitute. The God who puts into a man's heart to be gracious with his goods will also ensure that his needs are supplied so that he can abound in every good work, especially the good work of giving. Let's quit living a what-if life. What if I won that money? What if they knocked on my door? What if I got that inheritance? You may never have it. You may never see it. God wants you to use what you have right now. He took the little boy's lunch 
and used it to feed 5,000 men plus women and children. It wasn't a what if. Well, what if we can go to the store and buy enough money? What if, uh, I think it was one of the disciples that said, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, I'll just take what he has and I'll bless it and break. Listen, I believe, I believe that everything that God wants Flagship Church to be and everything that God wants Flagship Church to do and everything that God wants Flagship Church to give will be supplied through God, through the power of His Holy Spirit, and through the generosity of God's people. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that with all my heart. Over the last 10 years, generous people have given, not just to keep the doors of the church open, they've given to missions, they've given to outreach, they've given most importantly to the Lord. And I've asked a couple of these families to share with you their experience regarding the principles that I've shared with you today. We hear from one family this week, one family next week. This week's family has asked to remain anonymous. So they wrote a letter that they've asked me to read. Maybe you can relate to their story. She said, my husband and I both grew up in lower income families where we barely scraped by for necessities. We were never taught how to budget or manage our money. We both trusted Christ as our Savior in 2002, and soon after we heard a message about tithing and being good stewards of what God has blessed us with. The message was very convicting. We wanted to obey and honor God, but at the time we were struggling to make ends meet. We had two young children and we had lower income jobs. We had a lot of debt and my husband had child support responsibilities. I thought there is no way we can tithe when we can't even pay our bills. But the one passage in Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, kept coming to my mind. In this passage, God tells the Israelites that they were robbing God by not giving him tithes and offerings. He tells them that if they tithe, he will pour out blessings upon them and protect their crops. He challenges them to test him. And verse 10 says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. We desperately needed some blessings at that time. We weren't able to pay our bills at that point, so we thought, why not put God to the test? We didn't know where to start. Friends told us about Dave Ramsey's financial peace program. The program teaches people how to pay off their debt and save and invest money. We started to follow the program and gave tithes and offerings at the same time. It was scary because on paper, the numbers did not make sense and our expenses were greater than our income. But God kept his promise and he blessed us over and over again. My husband was able to work overtime for extra income Career opportunities and promotions started falling into my lap. We were able to pay off our debt and start saving while tithing. We've continued tithing and giving all these years and can clearly see how God has blessed us for it. I've heard the expression, you can't outgive God, and that's been very true in our lives. We've been able to be a blessing to others with all that God has blessed us with. 
So if any of you are feeling led to start tithing, I encourage you to put God to the test and see him pour out blessings on you as well. And I say amen to that. God has been generous to us. We've been called to live like Jesus. And it's impossible to be like Jesus and be greedy and stingy. We need to learn to give. We need to learn to trust God. We need to learn to be a cheerful giver. You will find that God keeps his promises. And God will give you opportunities to be the vessel through which his generosity flows to others. The most important question of all is, do you know this giver? Has there been a time in your life that you surrendered to him as your Lord and Savior and embraced his gift of eternal and abundant life? Before you can be the giver that God wants you to be, you must first of all receive what God has given to you. That Monday night, a couple of weeks ago, Vanessa made the decision to follow Christ. She gave me permission to share that with you. She had made decisions before, but she realized that she'd never really meant it. Vanessa, we're proud of you. We want you to know that we're praying for you. And we're cheering you on, and we're here for you.